This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Welcome to this Joy 94.9 podcast. We want to hear from you. It's time for our listener survey. So head to the Joy website and let us know what you love about the station and your presenters. Maybe you'd like to share your thoughts on Joy's program production team, the volunteers behind Joy Podcasts. The results of this survey will assist us in continuing to be the best possible station we can be. Head to joy.org.au and have your say. Joy 94.9, your voice, your radio station. Hello and welcome to Reality Check. Today is Tuesday the 13th of September 2016 and I'm your host, Tony Pittman. This is episode 72 of Reality Check here on Joy 94.9. Reality Check is a show designed to give you a healthy dose of reality. And we do that by promoting the art of critical thinking and skeptical analysis. Each show we bring you a roundup of LGBT news, followed by an in-depth analysis of an issue related to the paranormal or the pseudoscientific, And finally, we wrap up each show with a movie review. On today's show, after our LGBT News Roundup, we're going to undertake a skeptical examination of an alternative medicine known as cupping. Now, you may have seen those circular purple bruises on the bodies of numerous athletes at the Rio Olympic Games recently. Well, they were caused by cupping. Did it really help them overcome injuries and give them an edge over their competitors? And can it really cure everything from pneumonia to depression? Or is it just a load of pseudoscientific twaddle? Well, that's what we'll try to find out. Then in our movie review, we'll have a look at a new movie from Colombia, The Embrace of the Serpent, and a documentary from New Zealand, Tickled. So for all that and more, stay tuned to Reality Check here on Joy 94.9. Now, quickly, before we begin our LGBT News Roundup, I just want to mention that the Australian Skeptics National Convention is coming up soon, just two months away from the 25th to 27th of November. And this year, it's going to be in Melbourne. 
It'll be a fabulous weekend featuring big celebrity skeptics like Edzard Ernst, Michael Marshall, Lawrence Krauss, and Harriet Hall, to name but a few. And I'm going to be the MC on one day, so even more reason to attend. So please get your tickets now and see you here in Melbourne in late November. All right, let's get into our LGBT news roundup for the period since our last episode of Reality Check back on the 4th of June. So that's just over three months ago. And let's start with marriage news. And, well, there hasn't been much marriage news over the last few months. Just a few developments in a few smaller locations. And, well, of course, the country where most of the action is happening these days is still Mexico. And the latest state to get it there is Morelos, which had a change to its state constitution that came into effect in early July, meaning that from then on, same-sex couples could get married in Morelos. Now, Reality Check does have quite a lot of connections with the state of Morelos, so we send a special congratulations to all our listeners there. Just think, now that you can get married in Morelos, you could have your wedding in a place like Tepoztlan, which would be one of the most stunning places to get married in the world. Well, in my opinion. Anyway, this means that there are now 10 states in Mexico with marriage equality, plus Mexico City. So still 21 states to go. Expect more of those dominoes to fall in the coming months. And of course, I should mention that just this past weekend on Saturday, September 10th, so just three days ago, there were large anti-equality, anti-LGBT marches all over Mexico, organized by the Catholic Church and the right wing. This was basically in response to President Enrique Peña Nieto announcing a few months ago that he wants to amend the Mexican constitution to make marriage equality a constitutional requirement. So this is the typical right-wing backlash that we're seeing whenever equality surges forward around the world. Let's hope that Peña Nieto can somehow push forward and get this constitutional reform through, despite all the resistance, although he is now extremely unpopular, so unfortunately I don't think he has much political clout to be able to do that. Anyway, at least the Mexican Supreme Court is on our side, and so more and more Mexican states will get marriage equality over the next couple of years because the Supreme Court has already determined that it's a constitutional requirement, basically. But don't worry, dear listener, whatever happens in this long, drawn-out battle for equality in Mexico, you'll be sure to hear about it right here on Reality Check. Now, the other bits of marriage news are what you could call mopping up operations, really. Because I'm talking about countries that already have marriage equality, but certain autonomous regions within those countries don't. But now they're starting to get it. And the two places where this has happened recently are the UK and Denmark. 
In the UK, it was the Isle of Man that got marriage equality in July. The Isle of Man is what's called a crown dependency of the UK, so doesn't automatically have all the same laws. And in Denmark, it was the Faroe Islands that got marriage equality through a vote of their local parliament. The Faroe Islands is an autonomous country within the Kingdom of Denmark. Now, its marriage law hasn't come into effect. It has to be ratified by the parliament in Copenhagen, but that should happen very soon. Let's hope. So it's interesting how even when the main part of the country gets marriage equality, these mopping up operations will have to go on for years to eventually bring all the constituent components into line. For example, the UK still has 15 other overseas territories that don't yet have marriage equality and will probably take quite a while to get it. Now, in another marriage news story, I just want to quickly mention some figures that I like to calculate every year. Back on July 1st, I crunched the numbers to work out how many people are currently living in jurisdictions around the world with marriage equality. So basically just adding up the populations of all those countries and states. Obviously, the USA is the highest with 328 million. Then you add Brazil at 206 million. Then France at 67 million, etc., etc. And the good news is that there are now just over a billion people living in places around the world with marriage equality. And given that the entire world population is 7.3 billion, that means that now 13.8% of the whole world has marriage equality. Which is pretty extraordinary when you remember that this has only been happening for 15 years. The first ever same-sex marriages only took place in the Netherlands in 2001. So that means we've gone from zero to a billion in just 15 years. That's a pretty extraordinary rate of legal and social change. Probably unprecedented in the history of the world, I would guess. So, as we always say here on Reality Check, we're living in historic times. Now, I guess I can't really end our marriage news section without mentioning what's happening in Australia right now, where it's all really a terrible mess, still. So, as we go to air today, September 13th, the government has just announced they plan to hold the dreaded plebiscite on February 11th. But, of course, that legislation has yet to go through the parliament. Let's hope it gets blocked and let's hope we don't have to endure that ridiculous, pointless plebiscite. And if it is blocked, well, that may, of course, mean that due to the stubbornness and stupidity of the current government, we still won't see marriage equality in Australia for a number of years. So, once again, marriage equality appears to be as far off as ever thanks to our inept and cynical politicians. <sighs> it really makes the blood boil how long this has been going on and how it seems to be interminable. 
I guess we will get to the end eventually. All right, that's all our marriage news. Let's turn now to adoption news. And there's one piece of good news from close to home because the Queensland government has announced that it intends to amend the law to allow same-sex couples to adopt children. They haven't done it yet, but they're going to try to do it within the next few months, apparently. So Australia's most backward state, Queensland, is finally moving with the times. Which means that once it gets same-sex adoption, the only two places in Australia without it will be the Northern Territory and South Australia. Which is kind of ironic, really, because... Well, okay, the Northern Territory, okay, we don't expect much from them. But South Australia, it used to be such a progressive state. After all, they were the first to decriminalize homosexuality back in 1975, back in the Don Dunstan era, who was himself, of course, bisexual. Now, I don't know what's holding them up now with adoption, but let's hope they get around to it soon. Whatever does happen, you'll be sure to hear about it here on Reality Check. Now, our next news item is another piece of good news, decriminalization news. And I'm happy to report that the latest country to have decriminalized homosexuality is Belize in Central America. It happened through a decision of the Supreme Court a month ago on August 10th. The court found the sodomy law was unconstitutional. So that means that this year we've seen Nauru, Seychelles and now Belize all throwing out their sodomy laws. Of course, they're all small countries, but still it's a promising trend. And it also means that on mainland America... So, North and South America, not including the Caribbean islands, there's now only one country remaining where homosexuality is a crime, and that's Guyana. Let's hope they follow the lead of Belize and get rid of their sodomy law very soon as well. Okay, let's stay in the Western Hemisphere now for our next news item, which comes from the USA where on June 30th, the U.S. military finally ended its ban on transgender service members. Now, I'm sure you remember, dear listener, the whole long, convoluted struggle about don't ask, don't tell that went on for decades and finally ended in 2011. Well, don't ask, don't tell was all about gay, lesbian and bisexual service members. But now, finally, transgender people can also serve openly in the U.S. military. This change occurred with much less fanfare than Don't Ask, Don't Tell, but it's still just as significant. And it means that the U.S. now becomes the 19th country in the world to allow transgender people to serve in the armed forces. So, very good news. Now, do you know if Australia is included amongst those 19 countries that allow transgender people in the military? Well, I'm happy to say it is, but it only made that change in 2010, so just six years ago. So still a fairly recent development. And now that we're in the USA, I can't end our news roundup today without acknowledging the horrific news 
from Orlando back on June 12th, when a gunman murdered 49 people and injured 53 others at the Pulse nightclub. It was the worst massacre of LGBT people by a single person in history, as far as we know. Now, we don't normally focus on tragic news stories here on Reality Check, but the magnitude of that one, unfortunately, requires some acknowledgement. As to the motives of the killer, well, he was obviously a very disturbed man, but it's really not clear why he did it. Anyway, at this point, there's probably not much more to say about it. Just so much grief, so much suffering, all for no reason. It's just tragic from beginning to end. Let's hope nothing this bad ever happens again. Now, finally, I'd just like to make one quick comment, not strictly about LGBT news, but it certainly has repercussions for the LGBT community. And that is concerning the upcoming US presidential election. According to Nate Silver and the other pollsters there at 538.com, as of today, Donald Trump has a 31% chance of becoming the most powerful man in the world in a couple of months from now. That's almost a one in three chance, which is extremely nerve-wracking for the entire planet because a Donald Trump presidency would be, without exaggeration, quite possibly the worst global disaster of our lifetimes. He's a racist, far-right, populist demagogue, coming close to a fascist demagogue. And the idea that he could lead the world's superpower is a nightmare that is even becoming close to a reality, which is something that makes us all very nervous. And of course, apart from all the disastrous consequences for the rest of the world, it would also be a disaster for LGBT people. Given that he's promised to revoke most of Obama's executive orders and that he would have the power to appoint Supreme Court justices for the next four years. And he's promised to appoint some really horrible anti-gay right-wing judges. So I'd just like to send a message to all our listeners in the US, particularly in the swing states. You have our moral support from here at Reality Check. Please keep up the fight against Donald Trump. Please keep doing what you can to encourage people to vote for Hillary Clinton. We, in the rest of the world, will be eternally grateful for your efforts. All right, that brings us to the end of our LGBT News Roundup for the last three months. Let's take a quick break now, and when we come back, we'll undertake a skeptical analysis of the alternative therapy known as cupping. It's used by celebrities like Justin Bieber, Jennifer Aniston, Victoria Beckham, and Gwyneth Paltrow. So it must be effective, right? Plus, Michael Phelps uses it, and he's won heaps of gold medals, so you can't argue with that. Or can you? To find out, stay tuned to Reality Check here on Joy 94.9. Come with us. As we take you to new heights, Joy 94.9.
Hi, this is Sam Sparrow, and you're listening to Australia's first gay and lesbian radio station, Joy 94.9. Welcome back to Reality Check. I'm Tony Pittman, and the station is Joy 94.9. And the song you just heard there was Déjame Vivir by Rocío Durcal and Juan Gabriel. And, of course, I played that because Juan Gabriel, legendary Mexican singer, died just a couple of weeks ago. And he was, of course, gay, but never really publicly acknowledged it during his life, unfortunately. We now move into the part of the show where we undertake a skeptical analysis of a subject related to pseudoscience or the paranormal. And today, we're firmly in the field of pseudoscience, as we investigate the alternative therapy known as cupping. Now, interestingly, I started preparing today's episode on cupping a couple of months ago because a Chinese friend of mine had a session of cupping and I was appalled by the horrible raised bruises it left all over his back. And then, one day in the middle of my investigations, cupping was suddenly all over the news because the Olympics were on and dozens of athletes, including the most successful Olympian of all time, Michael Phelps, began appearing in public with those telltale circular bruises on their bodies, sparking huge worldwide interest. Susan Jerbick from Guerrilla Skeptics reported that visits to the Wikipedia cupping page surged from about 900 a day to over 160,000 per day, all because of that media attention. So I guess Reality Check is somehow attuned to and anticipating the zeitgeist. Or maybe we even caused it. Who knows? I mean, we do have confirmed psychic powers as we've seen on previous episodes, that's for sure. Anyway, what exactly is cupping? How is it done? Well, basically, a therapist takes a number of cups and puts them upside down onto your skin, normally on the back or shoulders. A vacuum is created inside the cups that causes the skin to rise up into the cup bursting the capillaries in the skin. Now, the vacuum can basically be created in one of two ways, either by quickly heating the air inside the cup before you put it on the skin, then the air cools and creates a vacuum, or simply using a pump to suck out the air through a valve on top of the cup. The cups are then removed after a few minutes, leaving your skin covered in a series of prominent circular bruises. Hickeys, basically, which, in my opinion, look quite horrific. There are two types of cupping, dry cupping and wet cupping. Dry cupping is what I've just described, placing cups on the skin with suction to create bruises. 
Wet cupping is the same thing but involves making numerous incisions in the skin first so that the patient bleeds when the cup is applied. In other words, it's a form of bloodletting. Yes, bloodletting that's still practiced as a therapy in the 21st century. Boggles the mind, doesn't it? Now, if you really want to freak yourself out, dear listener, just go onto YouTube and look for some videos of wet cupping. But be warned, it's not for the faint-hearted, especially when they start making all those incisions and then the cups start filling up with blood. I watched quite a few and I have to say many of them made me feel quite queasy. It's amazing that people think this could actually be good for you. Anyway, one of the most interesting things about cupping is its history. Because unlike most alternative therapies like Reiki or homeopathy or chiropractic, it doesn't seem to have one single origin. Now, even though most articles you read say that it's a form of traditional Chinese medicine, it's actually been used by many other cultures as well over thousands of years. It seems it was used by the ancient Egyptians, for example, as well as the Greeks and the Persians. It was also used by various communities in Europe, including the Jews. And even the Native Americans used a basic form of cupping involving animal horns. And perhaps most interestingly, it's very, very popular today throughout the Muslim world, where they use wet cupping and call it hijama. Apparently, the Prophet Muhammad recommended it, and since then it's been seen very favorably by most Muslims, almost to the point of being a kind of religious requirement. Actually, most of the videos on YouTube of hijama are accompanied by Islamic religious chanting and make it seem very much like a religious ritual, rather than just a kind of medical therapy. So cupping is ancient, widespread, and very popular. But what exactly does it do? What do people use it for? Well, actually, pretty much everything. Here are some of the conditions that practitioners claim it can treat. Respiratory diseases such as the common cold, bronchitis, and pneumonia musculoskeletal conditions such as back pain, neck pain, shoulder pain, etc. Blood conditions such as anemia and hemophilia. Also fertility problems and other gynecological disorders. Skin problems like eczema and acne. Arthritis, high blood pressure, migraines, depression, allergies, asthma, plus it can be used to promote weight loss and boost athletic performance. Some proponents even claim it can be used to treat cancer and strokes. Plus, of course, you can also just use it to promote general physical and psychological well-being. Wow! Sounds amazing, doesn't it? So useful for pretty much anything. Some might say it even sounds too good to be true. And actually, I think we've seen claims like these before on Reality Check. In fact, claiming to be able to treat so many 
completely distinct and unrelated conditions is a huge red flag that a therapy doesn't work and is pure placebo. Because things like pneumonia, anemia, depression, and cancer all have completely different underlying causes. How could one treatment possibly work for all those things? Well, according to science and reality, it couldn't. So I have to say at this point, it's not looking too good for cupping. But let's continue our investigation with an open mind, as we always do here on Reality Check. By the way, just as a side note here, dear listener, you might have noticed in that list that I read, cupping has been claimed as a treatment for anemia and hemophilia. Now, I'm not a doctor, but using bloodletting to treat anemia? (laughs) Probably not the smartest thing to do. And as for using a treatment that involves just bruising and bleeding to treat hemophilia, well, that doesn't sound like the wisest way to proceed, if you ask me. But, what would I know? I'm not a doctor or a practitioner of cupping therapy. Okay, so we've looked at what cupping is. We've looked at what it can supposedly do. Let's now see if it's scientifically plausible, if the theories behind it stand up to scientific scrutiny. Because cupping has arisen through so many different traditions around the world, there are many different theories about how it's supposed to work. The Chinese theory behind cupping is basically the same as the theory behind acupuncture. It's all about opening up the flow of qi. And as we've seen numerous times before here on Reality Check, qi does not exist. It's an imaginary concept. So any theory of medicine based on qi is highly implausible. But what about the Muslim theory behind cupping, or hijama as they call it? Well, it's not exactly clear what that theory is. Hijama is based on the sunnah points on your body, which are 11 specific points. Well, 11 according to some practitioners. Others give you different numbers. But basically, they're points kind of like meridian lines in acupuncture or chakras in the Indian religions. And these sunnah points were apparently described by the Prophet Muhammad. And he said that if you do wet cupping at these points, then that's the best way to heal disease. And as far as I can tell, that's pretty much it for the theory behind hijama. Muhammad said hijama was good, he was the prophet of God, and that's that. Case closed. It must be true because Mohammed said it. That's pretty much the best explanation of why it should work. Now, of course, hijama is always wet cupping, so always involves bleeding. And one possible explanation I've read is that it works because it draws out the jinn, or the evil spirits, that are inside the body causing the disease. Which, 
to put it mildly, doesn't sound terribly plausible. And I have to say that trying to research the medical theory behind hijama is very difficult because it's so intertwined with religion. It quickly becomes all about Islamic theology rather than theories of disease. In fact, many websites will tell you that wet cupping can be used to cure things like witchcraft, black magic, curses, possession by demons, and the evil eye. That's kind of the level that we're looking at when you try to read about the theory behind how hijama is supposed to work. Anyway, one thing we can say for sure about the Chinese theories behind cupping, the Islamic theories, and all those other theories of all the other cultures that ever used it. They are all pre-scientific. They all predate the development of science-based medicine, which only really began about 150 years ago. So all those theories of cupping developed before we had germ theory, for example, before we knew about the existence of bacteria and viruses. All those cultures developed their own theories to explain the manifestations of diseases. Theories that we now know are false. They were not based on the testing of hypotheses, nor on the statistical analysis of large amounts of data. They were based on dogma and belief rather than evidence and science. So in other words, they're not plausible at all. However, even though those traditional explanations for how cupping works are all dubious in the extreme, today's cupping practitioners are smart enough to have updated their language for modern audiences. Now, they still use the exact same techniques, but instead of talking about chi or evil spirits, they try to add some sciency sounding words to make it all appear much more convincing to their 21st century patients. Let's have a listen to a news report now from a TV station in San Francisco. Notice how they're at pains to point out that it's not cupping. It involves cups and vacuums and round purple bruises, and it looks exactly like cupping. But no, this is not cupping. It's scientific. It's even got a very scientific-sounding name. Let's have a listen. New at 6, if you watched swimmer Michael Phelps win Olympic gold last night, you might have wondered why he had those deep purple dots all over his shoulders. Turns out it's a new type of therapy with its beginnings here in the Bay Area. Growing number of professional athletes now swear by it. But unlike what many believe, it is not the traditional Chinese medicine. Meet physical therapist and UCSF assistant professor Chris DePrado. This guy's leaving a real mark at the Rio Olympics. Yeah, so this is provided mostly by physical therapists and athletic trainers in the Olympic Village. Many sports use it. I think uh, the gymnasts and the swimmers get the most coverage because they're the least clothed individuals with it. Um, but a lot of the athletes are going to benefit from kind of better range of motion or better uh, efficiency of movement is really what we're striving for with these techniques. Chris developed a technique now being used by American Olympic athletes such as Michael Phelps. 
It looks like traditional Chinese medicine, but it's not. Oh, they're not placed on acupuncture points. The technique is called myofascial decompression, or MFD for short. As for those purple dots, they'll go away within like five to ten days. The latest in Olympic chic. So no, it's not cupping at all. It's not traditional Chinese medicine. No, it's myofascial decompression. <laughs> of course, it sounds very sciencey, doesn't it? It can't be cupping because. Well, we don't put cups on the acupuncture points, so obviously it's not cupping. Never mind the fact that there are dozens of types of acupuncture, and there are no universally agreed acupuncture points. They're just randomly made up by the practitioners. But no, no, this is clearly not cupping. Of course not. This is sciency myofacial decompression. Uh huh. All right, well, let's give them the benefit of the doubt for a moment and say that this is somehow a science-based therapy and not traditional cupping. Okay, if that's the case, how do these modern practitioners say that it works? What's their theory behind it? Well, it depends on who you ask, of course, but basically, it's one of three things: either it's removing toxins, increasing blood flow. Or boosting the immune system. Yes, that old chestnut. Now let's look at these claims briefly. First, toxins. Of course, the people who say that cupping removes toxins never actually say which toxins. You know, just toxins, which is quite an extraordinary claim, especially for dry cupping, because in dry cupping the skin is not even broken. So I'm not sure how the toxins are supposed to be removed. Maybe they just float away like little ghosts, ghost toxins, maybe. Now wet cupping at least involves removing some blood, so at least something's being removed. But of course, there's no evidence that that blood contains any toxins. At least, no more toxins than any other drop of blood in any other part of the body. So the toxin theory doesn't really hold up. What about the increased blood flow theory? Well, many say cupping works because it improves blood flow in the affected area, and then this apparently somehow magically cures the disease. But anyway, let's forget about that second part for the moment. Let's look at the blood flow idea. Actually, the only thing that cupping does is create a bruise on the skin, and a bruise is actually just ruptured capillaries. In other words, it's actually just hundreds of tiny blood clots, and blood clots actually reduce blood flow. So the method that they say is designed to increase blood flow actually serves to restrict blood flow. <laughs> I don't think they thought it through too deeply, but of course this whole idea assumes that the cause of the ailment in the first place is somehow a lack of blood flow in the skin, which it's not. So it kind of doesn't matter anyway. Fortunately. And finally, there's that claim that it boosts the immune system. Well, actually, as we've seen before here on Reality Check, there's no such thing as boosting the immune system. 
And even if there were, there's no explanation as to how cupping would do that. So I think we can safely knock that idea on the head. So I think we can safely conclude that the idea that cupping would be of any benefit whatsoever for any condition is completely scientifically implausible. But to finish off our analysis of cupping, we have one more question to answer. Even though cupping is completely scientifically and medically implausible, does it work anyway? Is there something going on here that we don't understand that means that cupping is actually effective? In other words, what does the evidence show? The clinical trials, the medical research, the literature? Well, actually, there hasn't been that much published research into cupping and very few clinical trials, probably because it's so implausible, I would guess. But the published research that does exist, well, follows the typical pattern we've seen many times here on Reality Check for therapies that don't work. Small, poor quality trials show some effect, but in larger, higher quality trials, that effect goes away. Meaning that the supposed effect in the smaller trials was due entirely to bias, not any real effectiveness of the therapy. Perhaps the best review of the evidence for cupping was conducted by Edzard Ernst in 2011, and he found that it's basically not useful for any condition. And by the way, dear listener, Edzard Ernst is going to be at this year's Skeptical Convention in Melbourne in November. So come along and you'll be able to see him in person and even ask him directly about cupping, if you really want to. All right, let's finally recap and conclude. What have we learnt? The theory behind cupping is completely implausible, and there's no compelling evidence that it works. In fact, the only thing dry cupping does is create bruises. And a bruise has no benefit for any medical condition. And if you do wet cupping, you not only get a bruise, but you also lose some blood, which also has no benefit for any condition. Plus, you get the added risk of infection from all those wounds. So, cupping is a treatment that has no possible benefit, yet involves a number of risks. It seems to me not only a scam, but also completely unethical. So, dear listener, next time you meet someone offering to treat you with cupping, especially now that it's become so popular and chic since the Rio Olympics, our official advice here at Reality Check is steer a wide berth and try to cultivate your look of Olympic chic in other, less dubious ways. Going to the gym, maybe? Some hot sportswear, perhaps? Anyway, we'll leave it up to you. Just don't make it cupping. Finally, just a quick shout out and big thank you to Chen and Hassan for their extremely useful insights into cupping and the way it's viewed and how it's used in both the Chinese and Muslim traditions. Thanks very much, guys. Much appreciated.
All right, let's listen to a song now. But before we do, if you'd like to send in a comment or question on today's topic or an idea for a future topic, please send us an email. The address is realitycheckedtony at gmail.com. You can also visit our webpage too for past episodes of Reality Check. That's at realitycheckonline.blogspot.com.au. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll get into this week's movie reviews. Australia's most amazing gay and lesbian radio station. Joy 94.9. Salut, c'est Manu et vous êtes en train d'écouter Joy 94.9. Welcome back to Reality Check with me, Tony Pittman, on Joy 94.9. Also streaming live at joy.org.au and also available as a podcast to listen to anywhere in the world on your little pod. The song you just heard there was Night Call by Kavinsky and Love Fox from the great soundtrack to the movie Drive. It's movie review time here on Reality Check, and the two movies up for review today are Embrace of the Serpent and Tickled. Let's start with El Abrazo de la Serpiente, Embrace of the Serpent, a new Colombian film from director Ciro Guerra that takes you deep into the wilds of the Colombian Amazon in the early 20th century. The movie is shot in black and white and tells the story of Karamakate, an Amazonian Indian. Or more precisely, it tells two stories of Karamakate because the film crosscuts between two periods of his life. One in 1909 when... As a young man, he is asked to accompany a German naturalist to a village up the river to help him find a plant that will hopefully cure a terrible fever from which he's suffering. The other story takes place 31 years later in 1940 when Karamakate is now an old man and an American comes to visit him seeking information about the same plant that may help the U.S. in the war effort. And I have to say, this is a wonderful film. I know that a black-and-white Colombian period drama sounds like it might be a bit heavy-going. But Embrace of the Serpent isn't heavy-going at all. It's captivating, fascinating, and moving. It's really well done. I think this director, Ciro Guerra, really has a bright future ahead of him. And perhaps the most interesting thing about the film is its ability to transport you into the mindset of the people living in that place at that time. It's really about the clash of cultures of these worldviews of all the groups of people encountering each other in that region. 
primarily the indigenous people who have been living in the Amazon basin for thousands of years. Then you have the Europeans who are still in the process of colonizing the region, even though it's now 400 years since the so-called conquest of Peru. Then you have the Spanish missionaries still trying to eradicate paganism and convert everyone to Catholicism, largely by force. Plus, it also deals with the rubber barons and the rubber plantations and the enslavement of the Indians to work on those plantations and the horrific cruelty and injustice that that involved. And then you also have going on in the background, these territorial wars between Colombia and Peru that were going on in the early 20th century. But I think most interesting of all, what the film really deals with is the death of an ancient culture and belief system. Karamakate is the last man of his tribe not to convert to Catholicism, not to adopt European ways, to still try to live the life his ancestors lived. He still follows the practices and beliefs that they followed. The movie puts you into his frame of mind as he watches the brutality and evil unfolding all around him as his world is turned upside down by all these new invaders and new forces. And his character is so mesmerizing to watch on screen. The actors who play him do a fantastic job, particularly Nilbio Torres, who plays him as a young man. He's great, so powerful. I hope he becomes a big star. He really should. So Embrace of the Serpent is a wonderful, intelligent, mesmerizing film and one highly recommended by Reality Check. Now, for a complete change of tone, let's move to our second movie up for review, and that is the New Zealand documentary called Tickled, about the sport known as competitive endurance tickling, a sport which involves groups of handsome, athletic young men in tight sportswear all tickling each other. Or more specifically, one of them gets tied down to a bed and then the others tickle him and the guy laughs and squirms a lot and they get filmed, of course, and that's pretty much it. Which is kind of odd that it would be called a sport because, well, it seems more like a fetish than a sport even though the people who make these videos furiously protest that it is definitely a sport. And all this struck New Zealand journalist David Farrier as being rather odd too. He stumbled across some competitive endurance tickling videos on the internet a couple of years ago and became intrigued. And being a journalist, he wanted to find out more, so he contacted the video producers Jane O'Brien Media, asking for an interview. Instead of replying yes or no, they wrote back and said they wanted nothing to do with a homosexual journalist like him, a gay little kiwi, a faggot. And they added that competitive endurance tickling is a 
passionately and exclusively heterosexual athletic endurance activity. Aha, uh -huh, yeah, of course it is. And of course, responding like that to a journalist is like a red flag to a bull. There must be something more to this story than meets the eye. And so Tickled, the documentary, basically follows David Farrier as he travels to the United States and disappears down the rabbit hole of investigation to find out who is really behind these bizarre videos and what they're all about. Meanwhile, receiving a lot of legal threats and intimidation along the way. And that's probably as much as I'm going to reveal about where this documentary goes, because there are lots of twists and turns along the way, and it's probably best to see this knowing as little as possible about where it's going. But I will say that as a documentary, it's entertaining and engrossing, as the bizarre revelations just keep coming. And ultimately, it reaches a satisfying conclusion when you find out what's really going on and who's really behind it. Which all makes Tickled quite a fascinating documentary and definitely one worth checking out if you get the chance. Now, I did say I wasn't going to reveal much, but I do want to make one quick comment here, which is pretty much a spoiler. So if you really don't want to know anything, please just close your ears for the next 30 seconds. So if you're still listening, what I want to say is that I think Tickled would make a great double bill with Foxcatcher, that movie from 2014 because they're really both about the same thing. What happens when a child grows up in a rich and powerful family, and that child happens to be gay, but grows up in an extremely repressive homophobic environment? Well, that child becomes a rich and powerful man whose repressed homosexuality gets well, warped and expressed in all sorts of destructive and unhealthy ways. The amount of damage that repressed, self-hating homosexual men have caused on the world will never be truly known, but I suspect it's very considerable. Both Foxcatcher and Tickled are prime examples of how insidious and corrosive this phenomenon can be. So Tickled is a great documentary and definitely worth seeing, but also ultimately a bit grim and depressing for that very reason, when you realize why the videos are being made. Anyway, Embrace of the Serpent and Tickled. They're two very different films about very different issues, but both of them highly recommended by Reality Check. Now, just two quick things before we wrap up the show. First, don't forget to get your tickets to the Australian Skeptics National Convention coming up in November. You can get them from the website convention.skeptics.com.au. And also, dear listener, if you subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, please leave us a review. This helps other people find the show. Thanks. And 
that brings us to the end of the 72nd episode of Reality Check. I hope you enjoyed the show. Remember to send any questions, comments, or feedback to realitychecktony at gmail.com. And visit our website to subscribe to the podcast. That's at realitycheconline.blogspot.com.au. Have a great week, and I'll be back with the next episode of Reality Check sometime in the coming weeks. See you then. Thanks for listening to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.